First, I want to say thank you for allowing me to take a week off last week. We had a good time visiting my family or my mom and seeing my sister and brother-in-law and some of the rest of my family this last week. And so appreciate the opportunity to get away for a few days and, and rest a little bit as also. And thanks to Brother Melvin for coming and, and sharing a message with you. Um, I want to pick up again in our book of James, and I appreciate Tanya and her, Ari's message about patience because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit more about patience. And she said, we all have experienced waiting for things. We've all waited for something. Sometimes it's something big and exciting. Sometimes it's a birthday. It's a celebration. It's a graduation, something we've anxious for. Maybe it was waiting to get out of the hospital. Maybe it was waiting for someone to come home. Maybe it was waiting for some bad situation to end, waiting for a relationship to heal, waiting for oppression, waiting for some sort of suffering, a sickness to be over. But we've all experienced that feeling of waiting. And when we're waiting, just like in the children's message there, and you set a timer, that time can seem to go on and on and on. It can drag and it feels like it's taking forever. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're waiting and the time seems to be slow. And then someone wants to encourage you. And they come to you and they just say, be patient. Don't you love hearing those words? When you're anxious and you're ready for something and you're in, it's like, just be patient. You're a child and you're waiting anxiously for your birthday to come or for grandma and grandpa to come visit. And mom and dad say, be patient. Or the irony of you're in the hospital. And what do you call it when you're in the hospital? You're a patient, right? Do you know many people who are patient when they're in the hospital? So I've never figured out why exactly we call them patients, because nobody has patience when they're in the hospital. But you're not, you're impatient wanting to get out. And then somebody comes along and says, be patient. And that's what James does here. And so I want to explore what James is doing here. Because when we experience something like that, when we have someone, when we're in a time of waiting, a time of anxiety, a time of suffering, something going on, and we want it to be over, we want it to be done, we want to be on to the next thing, and someone comes and says, be patient, it feels like we're being told to just sit and to be quiet and to endure until it's all over. And so I want to look at what James says here about being patient and what it means to be patient and why we should be patient. So as I said, we've been doing a series on the book of James. The book of James is this letter from, historically we know is the, la- the half-brother of Jesus, a book written to the people of Jesus, who are scattered all around. And they're trying to figure out what life looks like to follow Jesus. And James is a very practical letter, a very down-to-earth letter we've called the series of faith that works because it's about the day-to-day living. In fact, all of our faith is sometimes we want to detach following Jesus from the rest of life. But following Jesus is about 
all of life. And James really gets at that, what it looks like to follow Jesus in the day to day and live that out. And so James talks about facing trials and temptations. He talks about dealing with our tongue, which is this thing that can destroy things. He deals with friendship with God versus friendship with the world. He deals with listening and doing what God calls us to do. And so James is dealing with all these things and he's encouraging us to live out our life of faith, to see what that looks like in our day-to-day life. And so at the end of chapter 4, he has finished up and he's been talking about what it looks like when we make plans apart from God. And then chapter 5 begins, and this is where it's tricky with James because sometimes we feel like James is just kind of hop, skip, jumping all over the place. He's talking about one thing and then he's on to another thing and it doesn't seem like there's a flow from one thing to the next. But if you were to sit down and if you were to read the entire book of James from start to finish, or if you were to read it out loud and listen to it, maybe take you 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the most to hear it, to maybe listen to it, You'll see what James does is he talks about something and he talks about that and then he comes back to it. And then he talks about something else and then he circles back and so he's got these different themes, he weaves them in. And the way we read our Bible, we've got chapters and verses and we preach our sermons and we take just a little chunk. Well, for the early readers, they wouldn't even have been readers, they would have been listeners. The way it would have worked is a messenger would have come with a letter from James and they would have gathered as a congregation 10, 15, maybe 20 people in a household. And the reader may have talked to James or know a little bit more. And they would sit and they would read the letter to everyone else. And the people would listen. And then that reader might explain some of the things that are going on. But they would hear that whole letter in its entirety. And so sometimes we miss out because we jump in and we read a passage here and we don't see where it fits in. And so we'll see some themes here in that tie back in with the rest of what he's talking about. But he's just talked about rich people making plans, and now James goes after rich people again. And James doesn't have anything necessarily against being rich in and of itself. What he deals with is the way we view the wealth that we have. And so he says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. That doesn't sound very good if you're a rich person, does it? But he says, why? He says, your wealth is rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. All this stuff that you've built up has crumbled to dust. It's nothing. And why? Because you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In other words, these people had wealth but they used it entirely for themselves. Ported it. They bought these clothes and rich things that eventually fade and corrode. They had the wealth and the money and they had people out there in their fields working for them. But they weren't paying them a fair wage. They weren't taking care of them. In other words, they saw something. There was something they could do and they did nothing. Just like James talked about earlier in chapter 2, when he has this passage where he talks about, he says, what happens if someone comes in and they have nothing? They don't have food to eat. They don't have clothes to wear. And you say, oh, be blessed and go on. And you do nothing. You have the ability to do something and you do nothing. 
And so James is getting at the rich here and saying, this is what it's like. That if you have the wealth, there's a responsibility that comes along with it. A responsibility to take care of the people around you. A responsibility to use the wealth wisely. It says, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. This is probably James' harshest language here. And then what happens in verse 7 of chapter 5 here is he switches kind of from, he's talking to this group of people who have the money and who have been oppressing and not taking care of those without. And now he switches and he begins talking to those without the money. Those who are on the receiving end And so the message, though, is about more than that. While it's specifically here in James to people who are being oppressed and not being taken care of or being oppressed and and maybe persecuted by the wealthy, we can broaden that out and say this can really apply to any situation in which we are suffering, any situation in which things are not going well for us, any situation which we would like to see things differently. How many of us know what that's like? Where we're in a situation, we'd like things to be a little bit different. We'd like this relationship over here to be fixed a little bit. We'd like this balance in our checkbook just to be a little bit bigger. We'd like this thing that's going on with us and our children to go away. We'd like this sickness in our family member over here to not be what it is. We'd like that feeling of darkness and despair that we feel each and every morning to go away. We'd like the pain and the suffering that we're going through. All these things are what James is talking about. And so now he's talking to these people who are not being paid a fair wage. They're being oppressed and they're being persecuted by the rich and the wealthy. And James says, be patient. He said, come on, James. Really? But what does he say? He goes on. He just doesn't say be patient because that's a What a good little boy and girl do. He says, be patient, brothers and sisters. It's this feeling of expression, of affection, saying, brothers and sisters, be patient. Why? He says, until the Lord's coming. Now, they may have expected it to come a little bit sooner, but the thing is, they didn't know when it was coming. But it was coming. And so he's, being, he's saying, be patient until the Lord's coming. Why? Because when Jesus comes back, all those things will be changed. All that is wrong in the world will be made right. All the injustice will be made just. The guilty will be punished. The followers of Jesus will be lifted up. The suffering, the pain, the sorrow will all go away when Jesus comes back. And so what he's getting at, sometimes we say, oh, I can't wait until this prayer gets answered. I can't wait until this. But James sums it up and says, no, what we're waiting for, truly the thing we should be waiting for and that makes it possible to wait is that Jesus will return someday. And when he returns, all things will be made right. All things will be made new. If you want, go to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which we see sometimes there's all these fantastical images and we kind of get lost with dragons and beasts and seven-headed things and trumpets and seals. And it's a confusing book. But if you were to sit down and read it from beginning to end, 
what you see is a story, and the story of that book of the Bible, that, that letter, is that God wins in the end. Is that at the end, heaven comes down and heaven and earth become one just as God originally planned. And then it says, and he will wipe away every tear. There will be more, no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more death. The old order of things has passed away and the new has come. And that all happens when Jesus comes back. And so G James is saying, be patient. And what we're waiting for is the Lord to come back. Because when he does, all things will be made new. So, but what does waiting look like? Well, some of it depends on who or what you're waiting for, doesn't it? We wait differently for different things. And so part of the question is, what does it look like to wait for Jesus to come back? Or maybe we could flip that around a little bit and ask ourselves, do we live our lives as if we truly believe Jesus is coming back? How much does that affect the way we spend our time? How much does that affect the way we spend our money? How much does that affect our relationships? How much does that affect our day-to-day -day living, the reality that Jesus is coming back? But James is saying, who we're waiting for makes a difference in how we wait and what our waiting looks for. And so some things, if we think about it, there are some things that are much easier to wait for, aren't they? I mean, if you go, imagine your favorite restaurant. Each one of you probably has a favorite place you like to go because they, they have this fish or this steak or this pasta, this thing that they do like nobody else does. And you, and you go and you go up and the person at the front desk says, I'm sorry, there's a 30-minute wait. But you're looking forward to that. And you say, okay, I can do that. Now imagine you go to McDonald's. Because there's really nowhere else to go. And you think, well, maybe I'll just get some McNuggets and a drink. And you walk in the door. And the person at the door says, I'm sorry, there's a 30-minute wait. Now which one is going to be a little easier to do? Because what we're waiting for makes a difference in how we wait and how long it feels. And so when James says, be patient because the Lord is coming, he's reminding us of this glorious and great and magnificent event. And because of that, it can change the waiting. It's the difference between waiting for that steak and seafood versus waiting for those McNuggets. And we're waiting for something far beyond the steak and seafood. We're waiting for Jesus. And so he's saying, that's what it looks like. But how do we wait? Do we just kind of sit down, fold our hands, you know, like we tell children sometimes, be patient. And sometimes when we say be patient, what do we mean? Sit down and be quiet, right? You know, they're waiting for something. We say be patient means, as a code word for stop talking and stop asking when. <laughs> I want you to just sit down and be quiet. Keep your hands to yourselves and be patient. But I don't think that's what James is talking about here. When James describes patience, he gives three examples here of what patience looks like. Verse 7, the second half of the verse. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So he speaks 
to farmers. Now, I've never been a farmer. I've watched my family play in gardens. I've been around farmers. So I have a sense of a little bit of what it looks like. And I know this much about farming. That it's a whole lot of work. And sometimes not a whole lot comes out of it. But I know this, there's this time in the beginning of the year where they're preparing the fields and then they plant the fields. And then there's a long time before the harvest. But as far as I know, farmers don't just plant their seeds in say April or May and then kick back on the porch with a lemonade until harvest time. There's a whole lot of work that goes in, a lot of activity, a lot of things they're doing between, between the time when the seeds are planted and when they're harvested. They have to go out and make sure there's water. They have to make sure they're weeded. They're out there checking and seeing how things are growing, making sure now, you know, checking the pH balance in the soil and doing all this work. They're working day in and day out until the harvest. And so when James says, see how the farmer waits? I think he's saying the same thing to us. He's saying, when we're waiting for Jesus, it doesn't mean we just sit down and kick back and look up and say, okay. But he says, there's things we can be doing, ways we are participating. Now, just in the same way that the farmer can't make the crops grow but they participate in it. We can't make Jesus. We don't have the ability, we don't have the power to make Jesus come back when we want him to. But we can participate in his work until he comes back. We can participate in his work by doing ministries of compassion, by looking and caring for the poor, by feeding the hungry, by visiting the prisoners. We can participate in his work by telling other people about Jesus. And so that's where I said, do we live as if Jesus is coming back? When I asked that question earlier, if we believe, if we truly believe Jesus is coming back, won't we affect our passion, our desire to tell other people about Jesus? If we believe that Jesus is coming back and there will be this final day of judgment, shouldn't it, impel us? Shouldn't it encourage us? Shouldn't it make us want to tell other people about Jesus? And so like the farmer, we have things to do in the meantime. So being patient isn't just sitting and waiting. Being patient is being involved in God's work in the world. And now for each one of us, that looks different. Each one of us has different talents. Each one of us has different gifts. Each one of us has different ways we've been put together. And each one of us is also at different stages in our life. In terms of our age, in terms of our health, in terms of where we are with our family. And so our task isn't to look around and say, well, they're not doing what they're supposed to, and they're not doing what they're supposed to. The thing we're supposed to be doing is just, what am I supposed to be doing? What does God want me to be doing? How does God want me to be farming? How does God want me to be active while we're waiting? Second thing he does then, he says that's one way, is we wait patiently like a farmer. But he also says we wait patiently like the prophets. So verse 10, brothers and sisters, and as an example in the face of suffering, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he goes back to the Old Testament, to all these books of the Bible where the prophets are there. And they talked a whole lot about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. But they didn't just sit around and do nothing about it. Instead, they spoke. They spoke, and what they spoke was they spoke in God's name. They spoke from God's perspective, and they spoke about what God was wanting to do. And sometimes when we're waiting, we get focused on what we want or our own perspective. Because if you jump back a verse, he said, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Sometimes when we're waiting, sometimes when things aren't going really well, you would think that we would be mad at the people persecuting him. Here in James, he's got this group of people who are being persecuted, who are being oppressed by the rich. And you think if they were to sit around grumbling about anything, they'd be grumbling about the people who are oppressing them. But what does James say they're doing? They end up grumbling with each other. They end up focused on each other. And so James is saying, no, that we can't wait like that. That's not what patient waiting looks like. Patient waiting instead looks like the prophets who listened to what God had to say and spoke about God's message as opposed to our own message, as opposed to our own desires, but instead spoke about God's desires. So we wait like the prophets in the face of suffering. We remind people of the goodness and the greatness of God. He goes on in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. So Job, there's an entire book written about this man, Job. So quick summary of that story. Job was this wealthy man. He was a righteous man. And then he loses everything. His fields, his farms, his livestock, his children, his wife. And then he himself begins to develop skin diseases and suffering. And then he has these friends who come and they want to give him some advice. Oh, Job, maybe maybe the problem is you're not a good guy. Job, maybe God's mad at you. Job, and they're, they're sitting there. And Job, in the midst of all that, refuses to curse God. His wife even comes to him and says, curse God and die. And Job says, I can't do that. Job instead waited because he knew the goodness of who God is. Even though he was suffering, and Job even at the end, he comes to God and he says, God, what's going on here? And there's this thing where he's asking God and he's questioning, he's trying to understand it. And God, in the final chapter, Job appears out of the whirlwind and gives this long, incredible answer, basically saying, Job, I don't have to explain myself to you. Job, here's the way things are. I am God and you are not. But he also reminds Job that I am still good. And then in the end, he restores all of Job's things that he has lost. And so the story of Job is a reminder to persevere in the midst of that, to say that one day, where did we start? One day, Jesus will come back. And when Jesus come back, comes back, all things will be made new. All things will be made right, and all things will be restored to an even greater extent than Job experienced. 
And so while we wait, we wait like Job. We wait trusting in the goodness of God. We wait trusting. Job didn't even know that God was going to make all things new. Job knew God was good. But he didn't know how the end was going to turn out. We've got to step up on Job. We know how things are going to turn out. We know exactly how things are going to turn out. Jesus is going to come back, new heaven, new earth, and all things made new. And so he says, because we know that, we can have that same perseverance as Job. So when James says, be patient, he's not telling us to just sit quietly. He's saying, be patient like the farmer and continue to work and continue to be involved in the the work of God in the world. Be patient like the prophets in the face of suffering and speak about who God is and focus on God's words, not our own thoughts. Be patient and persevere like Job who believed in the goodness of God and that God would do right. So what are you facing right now? What's that thing that's holding you down? What's that thing that you just want it to be over? May you hear James' words today to be patient. Not in a patronizing, condescending, sit down and be quiet, but be patient because we know that God will make all things right. Be patient because we know Jesus is coming back. Jesus is the source and the reason for our patience. I'm not telling you to be patient on your own power. I'm not telling you to be patient because it's a good thing to do. I'm not telling you to be patient because other people will look and say, look how patient he is or she is. I'm telling you to be patient because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back and will make all things new. Jesus is coming back and will restore all things. And because of that, just like everything else we do in following Jesus, because of who God is and what God has done in Jesus, we can be patient. So don't be patient. Don't try and be patient in your own power because it won't work, at least not for very long. But be patient through the power of the Holy Spirit as you trust in God that He will make all things right. Be patient through the power of God and the Lord who James says is full of compassion and mercy. How can we be patient? Why can we be patient? Because Jesus is coming back. That's good news for us today and tomorrow in the midst of whatever challenges you face. So may that patience take root in you as the Spirit lifts and empowers and encourages you to know that Jesus is coming back, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, and that all things will be made new. Amen.